0: Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of the Pro Basketball Talk podcast here at NBC Sports. I'm Kurt Heland, managing editor of Pro Basketball Talk, with you as always. And today, well, you programmed the show. We, we reached out on Twitter. We asked you, hey... Send in your questions. We'll answer them. Dan Feldman from NBC Sports and myself will be doing that. Not surprisingly, a lot of the questions right now are about the Jimmy Butler trade situation and where things are going. We're going to cover that in some depth. Plus, we'll get on to some other questions you sent in about Orlando, Philadelphia, and some other spots. So, we're looking forward to it. And really, Without further ado, I'd say we bring in Dan Feldman, but just a reminder, if you want to get in on this in the future, please, A, subscribe to this podcast, go to iTunes or Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts, and subscribe and comment. Beyond that, you can just email us at pbtpodcast at gmail.com, that's pbt as in Pro Basketball Talk, podcast at gmail.com. Send in your questions and we'll use them next time. And as promised, here's Dan Feldman from NBC Sports. How's it going today, Dan? Good, how are you? I'm doing well, And doing well. We've got a lot of ground to cover, a lot of questions that came in. But first, I think we want to get to the big NBA news of the day, which is, Dan, why do you hate Kevin Durant so much and not want him to be Defensive Player of the Year?
0: Wow. Well,
1: <laughs> as, a, as a noted Kevin Durant hater, he just believes he ruined the NBA and that the Warriors will never be beaten
0: and everything is wrong with the league, uh, he slipped as a defensive rebounder. He slipped in his perimeter defense last year. Uh, But I'm sure you want to explain why you're bringing that up.
1: Uh, For people who didn't see this, and there is a post now up at NBC Sports, uh, Kevin Durant came out yesterday speaking to, uh, I think it was Drew Schriller from uh, NBC Sports Bay Area, and said the only reason he didn't win Defensive Player of the Year was just pure hate and some of the other awards that he's, you know, he's being basically held down by the media who hate him and hate what's going on in Golden State, to which I would say as a voter, you're not even the best defensive player on your team. Like he, he would be second and like and he has made steps forward as a rim protector he has made big steps forward in the playoffs but like in terms of bringing it every night like Rudy Gobert did or like Joel Embiid did when they were healthy no you, you really didn't do that
0: well the the every night thing is kind of interesting because Rudy Gobert did not bring it every night it was a weak year last season for defensive player of the year it was definitely a, a year where there was like uh, Rudy Gobert was awesome while well, he played, but he missed so many games, yeah. a lot of years he wouldn't have won it, uh, and Bede was still you know, not what I think is going to be fully operational Joel Embiid, and so yeah, maybe this was the year Durant could have snuck in, and maybe in a previous generation that was a little more hung up on shot-blocking numbers. Maybe he would have, uh, but this wasn't just about Defensive Player of the Year. His comments were wider. He basically said, I will never win any awards as long as I'm with the Warriors unless I'm so clearly, overwhelmingly the right choice. Any close call, they're going to go against me because they hate me.
1: Yeah, the problem with, I don't know, let's use an easy one like MVP. The problem with MVP is that to put up... MVP-like numbers to put up, you know, James Hardeny, and, you know, something, because there is a certain amount of counting stats I think you kind of have to hit to get in the MVP conversation. You've got to at least have some serious numbers. That team is just so spread out. I mean, could Kevin Durant hit those numbers? Yeah, but that's not what's best for that team because you've got Steph Curry and Klay Thompson and all these guys who can score. So it's like, to me, it's, it's, it's just, I think the team holds him back, but it's not a matter of hate. I think he's the... I, I would go this far, Dan. I, most people would have him as the second best player in the world. I think you can make a serious case that he's like on LeBron's level right now. Um, LeBron might be able to raise it higher, but I think Kevin Durant play. you know, LeBron's not there every night either. I just, I think he's literally there, but that's different than saying he should be defensive player of the year or MVP.
0: I still think LeBron is pretty clearly the best player. There was a moment in uh, Durant's first finals with the Warriors where he was so clearly outplaying LeBron. That I kind of wondered, hey, has 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 it turned? Is this the passing of the torch? Is Kevin Durant the best player because he was outplaying LeBron? I also recognized it was easier for Durant to look good with all his star teammates, the the level of teammates that LeBron didn't have. But Durant was was so much better. And then you look at last year, the way LeBron led that ragtag Cavs team into the finals and nearly to a game one victory, even winning nearly one game against this this gi- giant threat of this Warriors team that was impressive in itself I don't think Durant is on that level so I still think LeBron's the clear-cut number one and I'll give you one more If healthy I think Kawhi Leonard is, oh, yeah. is better than Kevin Durant uh you know Kevin Durant is definitely less of a defensive player and it's you know Durant's better offensively but I think the gap is more I'm not sure of Kawhi's health and to me Durant is somewhere in that that next tier with James Harden. James Harden just won MVP I feel like we we sometimes look past him he won MVP Uh, He was in the race a couple years, very close, a couple years before that. And so maybe we need to look a little bit harder at James Harden. No matter how you slice it, though, whether it's Anthony Davis or you can put Russell Westbrook in there, exactly how you want to slice it, Kevin Durant is one of the elite, elite, elite players in the league. That doesn't mean he should win every award every time.
1: No, exactly. So uh, enough on Kevin Durant and and his... his, God, that guy still just needs his ego stroke, doesn't it? Just still needs the validation. It's kind of, it's kind of amazing how he says he doesn't, but he clearly kind of wants that validation. We'll move beyond that to the other real situation in the NBA right now, which is the Jimmy Butler trade situation. Um, You know, again, a lot of the questions that came in for us, uh, both on Twitter and at our mailbox were about Jimmy Butler, just to sum up where we are as of this recording, because Lord knows it could change. Um, there is no deal. Um, Miami came in hot and hard, but apparently, and not I'll say apparently, according to reports from Adrian Wojnarowski and Zach Lope, um, plus honestly, the stuff I've heard talking to teams, which is right now, I guess they're my I've heard teams are getting mixed signals. Like some days they're asking for veterans, sometimes they're asking for young players, and they want cap relief. And they and, and Zach Lope reported basically they want it all. They want this massive package for Butler that they're just not going to get. And so things have kind of stalled out because they're asking for the moon. Um, It's a big cluster of a situation right now. Dan, it it feels to me like Tom Thibodeau is basically trying to save his gig at this point.
0: Uh, I think that's part of it. But let's not forget, this is the same guy uh, who really made minimal effort to save his job with the Bulls. Like, there was a clear disconnect between him and his bosses. And I'm of the school of thought that, in general, as an employee... And I would like to raise after these comments, but this is the truth. As an employee, <laughs> you feel like your job is to do what your boss wants, to best execute what your boss wants. So yeah. if he gives you leeway to do whatever you want, you take that leeway. If he reins it in very tight, you, you follow within those strictures and try and help your boss accomplish what he or she is trying to accomplish. And we at the Bulls. The Bulls, his bosses, they said – hey, we want you to rest players more. We want you to do these different things. And he just refused until he got fired. So I'm not sure this is totally about Thibodeau trying to save his job. Uh, You know, I I get that narrative, and I think there's probably some truth to it. But I don't think that's a simple explanation here.
1: Well, save his job to me is a a bigger, beyond that, it's beyond saving his job. He wants to win. He wants to win now. He wants to win a lot. and. A, if they're not winning, he'll, he might lose his jobs. But beyond that, he just he's a competitive guy who wants to win. And if they don't have Butler, I mean, look, Butler missed 17 games in all that last year. But without Butler, they're not in the playoffs. I mean, they went to the last night of the regular season anyway. The Lakers got better this year. Denver's going to, I think, take a step forward. Like, it's going to be hard to make the playoffs in the West as it is. Without Butler, they're in a lot of trouble. Like they're in... Right, so it's not going to be a
0: simple subtraction of Butler. You know, theoretically, yeah, they're well, probably the going to get a helpful player back, Let's... but they're also probably going to get a, a young player and/or a pick. And you know, Butler's value is also lower because of this trade request. They are going to take a step back. They'll still have Towns, I think. I mean, we'll see exactly what they get for Butler. I'm kind of predicting after the trade, I'm going to take Minnesota uh, from a team that I predicted to make the playoffs to a team I predicted to miss it but they were going to be on the fringe either way.
1: Yeah. In fact, that brings us, that's a good segue into our first question from Tony Middendorf um, on Twitter. What is too high an asking price for specific players in this trade? I mean, like, Dan, what players, if you were Miami or the Clippers or, or whoever, like, what players are off limits for you if you were the GM of those teams?
0: Well, so I, there are definitely more teams involved in these Butler yes, trade discussions. But let's just go with, I think, that were the primary four, so the original three plus the Heat. So it's the Heat, the Knicks, the Nets, and the Clippers. Between those four teams, there is only one player that I would not trade for Jimmy Butler, and that's Christoph Sporzingis. I think all those the other three teams, they just don't have the caliber of players who are more valuable than than Jimmy Butler. Now, you know, I might not include like my two best players. It you know depends on that. But there's not a single player on any of those teams where probably those teams, I'd say, this guy is an absolute deal breaker. No way.
1: Yeah. And I'm curious if uh, to, to use Miami as the example, because they came in hot and heavy. I would put Josh Richardson in the deal. Now, I would not put Josh Richardson and Bam. Like <clears throat> I, that's kind of like where I'd be. Like you said, I'm not going to put two young guys. I consider putting Josh in the deal with whatever it's going to take to, to make. I, I think they will happily give you justice Winslow. I don't, I don't think, I think Winslow would gladly, they'll, they'll kind of put that in any deal, but that's a, you know, that and whatever it takes to get the salary done. I think that they though would rather keep Richardson and find a way to make this something about like Goran, Goran actually just straight up Goran and Winslow for, um, for Butler works financially. Um, so, I, I think that they'd rather go that way, but Minnesota wants the young player, and by the way, they'd like to unload Gor- Georgie Jang in there with that contract too, which is where the third team comes in. With you know, maybe Phoenix, maybe, um, but I think I think I'd put Josh Richardson in. I know the Clippers pretty much will not put in Shea Gilgis Alexander. Like, like that's the line. Now you can get Robin. You can get their other pick. You can get um, um, Jerome um, Robinson. Jerome Robinson, thank you. I don't know why I wanted to. I was I wanted him to be Mitchell Robinson so bad. I'm like, no, I have got the wrong Robinson in my head. <laughs> Jerome, Mitchell Ro- Robinson too. I would to- yeah, Tobias Harris, I, I'd throw in. Like, but I think that that's where the line is. But again, the Clippers can't take on a lot of salary, and uh, Miami's in that situation too. By the way, they are in the tax. They are not looking to add salary here.
0: I mean, sometimes you have to spend money to upgrade the team. That uh, could be the hard choice Miami's facing. So good, uh, the possibility of changing, trading Josh Richardson. I like Richardson a lot and he there's a lot of risk in trading Josh Richardson for Jimmy Butler. Uh, Josh Richardson is locked into a fairly uh, cheap for his production salary over the next 4 years. He's younger. Like there are a lot of reasons to prefer having Josh Richardson except Jimmy Butler is a way better player. So I do think it's a justifiable trade-off to give up Richardson for Butler, but that's not a deal without its risk.
1: Yeah. I think actually that comes up to something that nobody asked, but it's been a big, I I have heard it discussed around the league, and I think it's a, a big topic in this trade, which is simply this. How comfortable are you giving, look, for people who don't know, Butler is a free agent next summer. He can go wherever he wants, which is why this trade will have to get done. How comfortable are you giving him a four or five year max considering, I mean, he's only 29 right now. But he's got Tom Thibodeau miles on him. And, I, you know, he missed time with injuries last year. I'm not completely, I, you've got to give him the max, I think, if you trade for him. But I don't know that I'm completely comfortable with that because I'm fearing I'm going to regret part of that deal.
0: Oh, I'd be terrified of it because of his age, because of his mileage, because of how he plays. He plays all out yeah. all, almost all the time. And, you know, that's that's dangerous as a player gets into this age with these miles, miles on him. But it depends on the team, right? You need to be the team in the right place where it's going to be worth it. The back end of a four or especially five-year max contract could get pretty ugly. I look at the Heat, though. They got to a point where their best option was jamming themselves up with a bunch of expensive long-term contracts. And that's what they did. You know, they still have... Dion Waiters, Kelly Olenek, James Johnson on the books for a few more years. This team is kind of stuck. I'd rather be stuck as a better team and have Butler on the team and, and deal with some of those consequences later. There's, there's satisfaction in winning and making the playoffs and winning playoff series. So I look at the Heat as a team that would be, would be in a good place if they can get Butler, a better place, if they can get Butler for a reasonable cost. And I'll even include Josh Richardson as maybe part of a reasonable cost But for a team like the Nets, with far younger players with more flexibility, there is more risk in locking into Butler. Because are you going to be ready to win enough with him? Or maybe there's some positive attributes that we're discounting on a young team. Not everybody is Andrew Wiggins and, to a lesser extent, Carl Anthony Towns. Sometimes young players are going to see Jimmy Butler's work ethic and want to emulate it and get in line behind him and not grade on him. Uh, so there could be positives to bringing him into a young team. I think you need to be very careful with giving him that full max contract. You need to know that you're the right team to get the most out of it. But I do think there are some of those teams around the league where it makes sense for them to do it.
1: By the way, I think Miami is one of those teams. I think that is a culture of, A, that is one of the best conditioned teams in the league You're in and out. Their focus on conditioning is is preeminent in the league. And they're, look, they they rest guys. They are big on the, look, Dwayne Wade's going to be on the knee program this year. Um, They are good about resting guys and keeping them fresh. And I think that culture kind of works for for Jimmy Butler in a lot of ways. Um, By the way, that brings, I forgot to tie into this. One of the questions we got in was from Timberwolves Brazil on Twitter, and he just said, is Richardson part of the deal? What about Whiteside? I, I will say this, Miami would love To include Whiteside in this deal. (laughs) Good luck with that. Like, I I cannot see anybody taking Whiteside on right now. So I I, I can't imagine him being part of this deal going anywhere unless it's part of the salary dump. And uh, it's Minnesota that's really pushing the salary dump.
0: Yeah, I mean, Whiteside has negative value at this point, but can also still play. Yeah. I just don't know where he goes, because the Timberwolves already have Towns at center. Yeah. A lot of teams already have centers. Yeah. This is why the Heat didn't trade him already.
1: Yeah, exactly. I was going to say, you can't trade him to the Suns. I think they just drafted a center they like. So, like, i just not sure, you know, DeAndre Ayton. I don't know. Like, just, there's not a lot of fit for him. So, I don't think he goes anywhere. Um, really interesting question from Philly, at Philly Gene, Gene Kazmir, who sent in a couple for today, but... Uh, uh, this I've heard this from a few Minnesota fans. Why would Butler wait until right before training camp to request a trade? Do you think he waited till free agency was over to be the big-name target and, thunk, and think he was going to have some kind of leverage that way?
0: It's a great question, and I don't know, and it's one I wish I knew the answer to. I think it would give us a lot more clarity. On the situation. Now it's been reported, he expressed earlier in the summer that he was unhappy with things in Minnesota and gave indications he would leave after his contract expired. It didn't escalate to a trade request though until very close before. And I'm not sure what took so long. One theory I've heard that I don't know whether this is true, but it's a theory I've heard that I I think is at least plausible, is that he got word that Carl Anthony Towns wouldn't sign his extension with Jimmy Butler remaining on the team, and Butler basically just said, screw it, like, I'm out. Like, this is just too much. Too much. I'm gone.
1: Yeah, I think that a lot of this comes back to um, just the power play dynamics between Towns and Butler. Butler wants to be the leader and the man on this team. Towns wants to be the leader on on this team. And by the way, Towns has got to step up into that role. I mean, look, he was phenomenal last year. He's obviously got to... If you're going to max him out and they... Not only are they going to max him out. I don't even think there's a question here. You absolutely max him out. Um, he's got to improve his defense. He's got to be more of a leader, <coughs> a leader than he has been. I'm. I just don't know. You know, I don't. I don't know if Wiggins is a lost cause, or if when Butler leaves and Wiggins gets a few more touches, he becomes more engaged. I don't know if, like, he just felt like suddenly last year Minnesota had somebody who kind of played a similar position and just did everything better than him, and that just he couldn't handle finding a role.
0: I mean, let's not pretend that Wiggins didn't get a lot of touches already. Yeah. You know, he just doesn't seem to play with that hunger or uh, to put it in Steven Jackson's terms, that heart, Wiggins took 15.9 shots per game last year. It was 28th in the league. It was ahead of Jimmy Butler. It was ahead of Carl Anthony Towns. Like, it's not the touches and shots can be different. It's not the only measure but he seemed very content to have his money and play just as hard as he needed to, to not stand out in any direction. He never really looked terrible. He didn't never look like he didn't belong on the court, but he never stood out for positive reasons either.
1: Yeah. Yeah. He just, uh, look, the thing you hear around when you talk to people, you talk, you know, Jimmy Butler talks about work ethic or what have you. I think the thing you hear more is, does he love the game? Does he really love the game to put in the work, to do the things night in and night out? that that we just come to expect from the stars because most of the time you don't get to be anywhere near max contract money unless you are that guy, right? Unless you've put in so much work at your craft and you're so driven that you get there. You're, you know, Jimmy Butler was a late, <laughs> bottom of the first round pick who, who forced his way up. We ex- those are the kind of stories I think we relate to better as fans than guy who has all the talent in the world was a number one pick, has got his money and just doesn't, seem to have that drive um it's 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 is that the most untradeable contract in the nba right now by the way like wiggins going into five years max
0: no i don't think so because he's still young he still has tools you know i look at somebody like joe kim noah is probably more untradeable i would think
1: yeah yeah but he's only got a couple years and that buyout should be coming soon but that's a That's a different kettle of fish we can go down. Do you think the Clippers should have come in harder on this or some other team like Philadelphia? Do you think there's other teams that should have? I mean, maybe there isn't a deal to be had right now because Thibodeau's dragging his feet and you're getting mixed signals. But should some of those teams come in harder? Or if you're the Clippers, are you thinking, man, we can get some of these guys next summer?
0: So the simple answer is I don't know. I don't know exactly what those teams are offering. So it's tough to say whether they should have. Yeah, come in harder. But I think Butler is a very good player and I'd want him on my team. If I'm the Clippers, I wouldn't want him going somewhere else, getting comfortable there, that other team getting his bird rights and the ability to give him a five-year contract. There is real value in trading for him. Now, I don't know whether the Clippers offer so far are truly meeting that value.
1: Yeah, that's, that's a really good question. And the Clippers, the Clippers could find themselves in that Lakers... Paul George situation, although, you know, where they think they're going to get him as a free agent, or they think they're going to get Kawhi Leonard as a free agent. I'm, I'm not a hundred percent convinced Kawhi Leonard leaves Toronto next year. We'll see what happens. We'll see how the season plays out and how he, how things go. But that might be a market that suddenly appeals to him. I mean, you're taking a risk that he gets comfortable um, and, you know, figures out how to work the heater in his apartment and is okay with it. So um, it's going to be a, a real mess of a situation. I think, one last question, and I, it came from Alfredo Rodriguez, um, who emailed it into us, and it's kind of, it was a long question, I'm kind of shortening it here, comparing uh, the Clippers, by the way, remember, this would be the Clippers of a few years back, the Donald Sterling Clippers, who at the time held the record for, I think, 15 years missing the playoffs consecutively. By the way, that is hard to do in the NBA. Do you know how hard it is to miss the playoffs, like 15 years in a row, when more than half the teams go? Um but his question is: Trading for Butler may have ended that playoff drought, but after the wacky things that have transpired leading up to the trade quest, have the Wolves become the new Clippers between Thibodeau and Doc Rivers? Remember, they were together as Celtics. You know, uh, uh, Thibodeau was uh, 2008. He was the guy who put that defense together that to helped win the titles, the title for Boston. Are there similarities between the coach GM runs and who would? J- Who's the wor- in a worst case scenario? Who do you not want on your team more? I'd, personally, I'd rather have Doc. Is for all his flaws, as, Um Doc can still coach. I just I think he's going to grind his guys less. I think he creates a better atmosphere. I'd rather have him than Thibodeau. But boy, I don't think you're going to see a lot of coach GMs anywhere for a while.
0: Yeah, I think I would rather have Doc. I think he's a better coach. I, I think it kind of goes under discussed in this whole Minnesota saga is Thibodeau has not done a good job coaching the Timberwolves. He's done a better job as team president. I'm not sure he's done a good job there uh, given how much dysfunction is coming to light now, but some of his acquisitions were good. I still think the trade for Jimmy Butler was good, even though the Timberwolves screwed that up in, in some ways afterwards, signing Taj Gibson was excellent, but he hasn't coached this team well. They're, they're lousy on defense. They often look lost. That's supposed to be his specialty. Their offense is too basic. They don't get Carl Anthony Towns the ball enough. Uh, Doc is a much better communicator. gets along yeah. better with his players. Both of them, the big similarity is they both have huge blind spots when it comes to roster construction. They're both too torn, too partial to players they used to coach, or in Doc's case, uh, who were good against his former teams in the playoffs once. And it's not a good mindset to have. These are two different jobs. that, each very hard to do. It's extremely hard to do both of them successfully. It just takes too much time and too much effort. There are rare cases where it works out. It worked out for Greg Popovich with the Spurs. He does have those dual titles he also delegates a lot to their general manager rc buford so i don't think it's impossible to make work there are benefits to it but because of these recent examples not working i'm with you teams are going to be so scared
1: off from it yeah i it works in san antonio but much like popovich that's look he's a unique he's in a unique person that's a unique situation he is sympathico with with RC Buford in a way that you're just not going to have with coach and GM that much um it just they, they're kind of of one mind and that just always hasn't been the case with these with these combo roles it just hasn't it hasn't flowed that well so like like I said I I'm never never say never somebody will get that dual power again but uh Budenholder, it didn't really work it just um I just don't think it's a like you said your job and your if if you're a coach, you're wanting to win every game right now, and that should be your focus, and the GM's got to have the bigger picture focus. And if one of those sides is really able to win out mentally, if if is able to just get guys to win now, it's, just, it's not good for the long-term health of the organization. So
0: I've but, always looked at it as a as <laughs> a system of checks and balances and have found that effective. But I've yeah. also warmed up to the idea that there are advantages to having a president and coach who are especially aligned, and that can only fully happen when it's the same person. And so there are advantages, but I am with you that the the system of the general manager looking to the future, the coach looking to the present, tends to balance itself out and work out, even if there are plenty of kinks along the way.
1: We're going to move on to some of these questions now that were not directly tied to uh, Jimmy Butler. The first one has some some Butler ties. Right. The first one of those new questions, Dan, comes from uh, via uh, email from Drew Olenoff. Elton Brand said on ESPN that the Sixers are one piece away. That's the new GM of the Sixers, by the way. Well, he might mean Markel Fultz. Are there any moves that the Sixers could be, might be working on before opening night? Any chance Butler's asking price comes down? Well, I think Butler's asking price comes down. I just don't know if Philadelphia is going to pay it. But I don't know that you're going to see anything before opening night. I don't think you're going to see anything before the season. I think that they're, look, they're obviously big game hunting, but I think that they, they're they willing to wait for the trade deadline in next summer to see what comes up.
0: Yeah, I mean, they, they had basically a two-summer window to make something happen, and it didn't happen last summer and they're going to hope it happens next summer before uh, Ben Simmons gets onto his big contract, his max contract. When he and Embiid are both on max contracts, yeah, then there goes a lot of flexibility. So that's, that's, the, that's the window. I don't think anything's going to happen before the season. Uh, it could be Butler, but I really doubt Butler ends up in Philadelphia. That doesn't sound like it's happening. And trades this late before the season usually don't happen. The 76ers' best ticket or most direct simplest ticket to a star is through Markel Fultz. Yep. And that would require a major breakthrough and a lot of development that seems unlikely, but is at least theoretically possible.
1: Yeah. Is, is there a type of player you think Philadelphia should go after? Because it's a unique situation. You're going to have Simmons as sort of a point forward, but would your third star, would you want him as a... Right now they've got Jimmy uh, J.J. Reddick doing a really solid job at the two, but is a one or two guard kind of the logical spot who can shoot a lot um the logical spot to have have the third star, quote-unquote?
0: I mean, I think it really could be at any position, two through four. I really like Ben Simmons at point guard. He impressed me last year. Yeah. Uh, he, I think, earned that spot. I'm not looking to supplant him and turn him into a power forward or anything like that. Uh, but ideally, it's somebody who plays shooting guard, small forward, or power forward. Who can shoot pretty well and provide some floor spacing that this team needs?
1: Yeah, it definitely needs spacing, and, and that's going to be interesting. By the way, they did you know they picked up a couple guys before the playoffs last year. Those guys are gone now. Um, the the floor spacing is going to be interesting. I mean, obviously Reddick's there, but uh, I think it's something to watch going forward. That's still look. That's still a Philadelphia team that's number two in the East. But I guess I guess it's number two or three in the East depending on what you think of Kawhi Leonard's return and like where he's at, uh, but. Certainly, one of the top teams in the East.
0: Yeah, top three somewhere.
1: Yeah, um, I this is a I've, I wanted to talk about this one from Jose Perina uh, Pereira. I'm going to butcher that. I am so bad at these things. But Jose, I'm sorry about that. But it's a great question, and I actually had joked on Twitter about uh, the Magic, but I actually wrote about them this weekend. So he had written it and said, "Call me optimistic, but Orlando's roster is honestly not that bad." I believe with the omission of maybe you know some of the underdeveloped players who haven't really come along. This team is talented, average to above average players and versatile skill sets. Eric Gordon looks like he could be a star. They're excited about the combo of uh, Jonathan Isaac and Mo Bamba. Uh, Evan Fournier can certainly score a little, and and he thinks they're a point guard away. Um, what kind of and he wants to know what kind of point guard can fit this team. I'll say this. I agree with you. Like, I actually think for the first time in a long time, I'm interested to watch Orlando Magic games because I think they have the potential to be a good, big defensive team, especially with Steve Clifford coaching, a defensive-minded coach. Uh, even though he didn't have that great defensive success in um, in Charlotte, I think he can really help that team. And they're going to be interesting this year. Yeah, they're a couple players away, and I think it's, it's not short-term. I think you look to get them in the draft, you look to get young players. But this is a team that's They're going to be interesting, and they're going to be on the rise this year.
0: I think I'll talk more about the Magic when we address our next question, but I'm not that sold on this roster, especially for this season. Uh, I'm intrigued also by the combination of Aaron Gordon, uh, Jonathan Isaac, and Mo Bamba, but I'm not sure how they're going to fit together, especially this early. And defensively, yeah, there's plenty of tools to go around, but young players tend not to be that good at defense Bamba has a long way to go in upping his awareness and being able to read what's coming at him and call it out and communicate with his teammates, which is so important for that center, that last line of defense. So, yeah, there's some intrigue in the long term, but is the team ready to make something happen? No, I don't really see it, and that point guard hole is one of the biggest reasons. I just don't think there's enough offensive talent on this team to really make it work without somebody better than DJ Augustine leading that attack. As far as what type of point guard would help them, who could they get? Uh, simply just a good point guard. Like, there's kind of a model of what good point guards in the NBA look like now. You know, They're scorers. They can shoot. Um, you know, somebody, Sometimes you get somebody like Russell Westbrook, who's such an insane athlete, he can overcome those deficiencies. But really, any good point guard should be able to come in and make a big difference for that this team. The question is, where are they going to get one? Uh, the best bet is to draft one at some point while they're still bad and picking high in the draft. Uh, but you have to just hope one becomes available at the right point. I, I would guess they probably would have wanted Trey Young this year. He would have been a good fit, somebody who they could have built around. He just didn't make it to their pick.
1: Yeah, I think they. I think you're right. I think that that's a guy they would have had real interested. In. Although I, I with you. I've got real questions about how Bamba and Aaron Gordon and and uh, Jonathan Isaac fit together. But I also, like you said, I'm just really intrigued after watching them in summer. Bamba's also got to get a lot stronger. Like, he looked good some nights and he had some good plays. He also, you know, he blocked um, a, De- a um, DeAndre Ayton shot at one point, but Ayton overpowered him most of the night. She just pushed him around. And, you know, look, you're going up against men every night, real strong guys in the NBA. He's, he's got to get physically stronger, lower body and core. And it's, it's a more of a, I mean, I hate to use this comparison because I hate to use this as the ceiling, but look, how long did it take years of Utah working Rudy Gobert's core and lower body and having a long-term plan with him to get him to where he is right now, um, I think that that's kind of where Bamba is. This is a multi-year plan to turn him into a great defender. He has the potential to be, but you've got to be able to develop him, and that's a lot of the questions. If if Orlando can be a team where they can develop players now, because they didn't, they haven't really been great at that necessarily in recent years. So. Um, That I I, I, honestly, I'll probably watch more Orlando games this year than I have in a long time. I still think they're kind of interesting. Um, The final question actually comes again from Gene Casimir. You wrote about the lottery odds. Who will be the three worst teams in the NBA now that the draft odds for the bottom three are equal for the next draft? It does have some significance. I mean, that is part of it. It's going to be... Look, I think the change in the draft odds really just changes the inflection point on tanking. I don't think it changes tanking. Uh, except, you know, you don't get the same value out of going as bad to make sure you get the number one potential odds. But on the flip side of that, if I'm, if we get to December and I'm like, man, I can either make a playoff push or I can, like, if I fall back into the lottery, my odds are better than they used to be, like, it just changes the inflection point for teams on what they're going to do and when.
0: See, I don't think teams ever really made that choice of saying, well, look at we think we can make the playoffs but we'd rather go back and slip into the lottery. The teams that are really tanking are the teams who are like, well, we'd rather finish last than yeah. sixth to last. And so I don't think this changes those decisions. There's still incentive to go for very last. It's not as important as it used to be, but it's still better to finish last than second to last, than third to last, than fourth to last, etc. All the way down the line. And so... I don't really think this changes decisions as much on a year-to-year basis. The big change, I think, could be in the long run, where if you're a team that finishes last, before you were guaranteed a top-four pick, we're probably going to get a top-two pick, but what if now, what if you are picking, end up picking fifth uh, if you had the worst record? You might not get an impact player in the draft, somebody who can lift you out of this, and you're stuck doing it again in a future year. So I really don't expect a ton of changes next year, uh, but I think over the long run, this proposal could have some changes uh to how teams operate that probably aren't exactly what we're looking for but i am intrigued by by this part of this question of who yeah. are going to be the bottom three teams this year I, who do you got uh
1: i think there's two to me that are kind of obvious i think atlanta is going to be one of them i think sacramento is going to be one of them although i do think sacramento is a little better than they were last year i think i like deer and fox a lot i think bagley has a lot of potential. I still think that they're they're just young and the pieces don't fit yet, and the and they're in the West. Like it's just they're they're in a conference where like you're you're going to learn some hard lessons every night because everybody's good. Um, the third one is the one I was struggling with. Is it? I I don't think it'll be Phoenix. I I, I kind of think it might be Orlando. That was the place I was leaning. Just again because I think as much as I'm intrigued by them, it's a long way on their learning curve.
0: Yeah, so I'm 100% with you that two picks are the Kings and the Hawks. I can't guarantee they're going to finish in the bottom three, but I can say looking over teams, where they stand right now, there is no way I'm not picking them if I have to pick right now. Uh, That third spot, it's tough. I mean, it could be the Magic. It could be the Bulls. It could be the Suns. uh, And it could be the Knicks, depending on how much Kristaps Presenka plays. Yeah, that's true uh and so Porzingis is the big unknown if I know he's going to miss the season they're my other pick but I think he'll be back and play a little and I guess I think I would take the Bulls if pressed but I don't feel super strongly about it
1: now the, the Bulls are kind of an interesting team too where I like some of I like Laurie Marketin. I like uh Wendell Carter Jr. was one of the guys I wasn't as high on going into the draft than I saw him at Summer League and I'm like you know I I really like this guy's game I think there's a lot of potential there, but they are young. They're going to be learning, Chris Dunn, they're going to be just learning hard lessons. Uh, we don't know how good Zach Levine's going to be when he gets back. What kind of, um, look, when your game is based on athleticism and you blow out your ACL, that's a concern. It just, like, well,
0: well, I've got good news for you then because his game is not based on athleticism. He just jacks a bunch of jump shots and
1: participates in the dunk contest. So well, there you go. <laughs> it should be more based on athleticism. <laughs> yes. Um, it's yeah. I we'll see how we'll see how that goes. I'm not really sold on them either. They're a team. I think the Porzingis question is really interesting. I you want know my guess is that you're going to get sort of like Paul George the year after his injury, where they brought him. I forget. I'm not gonna. I'm gonna go blank off the top of my head. How many games he played that? year. I want
0: to say it was like eight to twelve.
1: Yeah. And I think that that's where it is. You see him, you see Porzingis come back somewhere in the last 20 games and not get heavy minutes. Not, you know, they're not rolling him out there 30 a night. Um, But he comes back, he gets a feel for the game, gets some extra, you know, gets some run in, and then they can hit the ground running in the summer and then into next season. And I think that that's kind of, my guess is that that's where it goes, that he bounces back somewhere after the All-Star break for 20-ish games. But we'll see. They're not rushing him, and nor should they.
0: Paul George played six that year. If that's all Porzingis is going to end up playing, uh, then maybe I would take the Knicks for that last spot.
1: Yeah, I, I hate to I hate to tell Knox this because I kind of like him too, but yeah, they're going to be bad this year. Um, although you know they could win a few more games. Again, I just I think Sacramento's biggest problem why why I would probably pick them is just that man the West is brutal. <laughs> you got to play a lot of games against good teams every night. Um, And
0: and that's why I would put the Suns in the mix, too. The Suns are kind of similar to the Magic in some ways, where, yeah, there's some intriguing pieces. Like, this kind of looks like it might make sense, and I think the Suns are even better two through five. But then that point guard spot is, whew, the Magic are in good shape with D.J. Augustine by comparison.
1: Yeah, exactly. That point guard spot is bad, which is why they, by the way, are trying to get into the Butler deal. They want Tyus Jones. By the way, if, if Thibodeau gives up Tyus Jones in the deal, boy, that would bother me. Um, unless it,
0: it, it depends what they get. And yeah. Can I can I tell you another Timberwolves point guard related thing that would bother me? It's no. If the Timberwolves view going from Jeff Teague to Goran Dragic as some massive upgrade, <laughs> like if that's a central piece of their value in a Jimmy Butler trade, because if they're going to unload Teague somewhere else as part of this, yep. Like Dragic, Dragic, is better than Teague, I think, but I don't think it's clear cut, and it's certainly not by a ton.
1: No, it's not some dramatic upgrade at the point that they're getting out of this. Um, And by the way, Dragic is 32, um, can opt out after this season. Probably won't, but can um, opt out after this season too. So it's, you know, I don't, not that Teague's locked in long-term, but it's not like you're getting, again, that's why I want Josh Richardson in this deal if I'm Minnesota. (laughs) But uh, that, you know. Well, I'm not sure where that line is, and I think the problem is nobody knows where that line is, Dan, including everybody trying to talk to the to the Timberwolves.
0: I am skeptical of of some of these complaints about the Timberwolves. I mean, these are teams trying to trade with them that I think are trying to cause problems and you know yeah. make it harder on the Timberwolves and apply public pressure to the Timberwolves just to get something done because it benefits these teams trying to trade with them I don't really have a problem with the Timberwolves trying to get what they can it goes back to the question we had earlier which was why did Jimmy Butler do this now I still don't know but one of the consequences is he might have to wait a little bit for a trade for the Timberwolves to sort this out
1: if if and I should have brought this up when we were talking about Minnesota but we'll we'll drop it now real quick at the end of the podcast would you drag this out till past December 15th? Would you drag this out till, all, for people who don't know, that is the date that the veterans who signed one-year deals can get in. So to use the easy example, and I don't think they'd get in the mix, but, um, but since everybody talks about the Lakers signing, you know, Lance Stevenson, John Rondo, Beasley, all these guys to one-year deals, they, those guys and all, them, all and a bunch of guys who signed, there's a lot of one-year deals this year, they can't be traded till December 15th. But once they're available, it changes the market.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's some, there's some value. Waiting. I'd be shocked if it dragged out yeah. like that. I'd be absolutely shocked. Uh, but I kind of understand the logic of waiting to see. Teams would have more freedom to make better offers. At the same time, uh, offers would come down because they'd be losing games of production from yep. Butler. They'd be losing a chance to show them why he should re-sign. And so his value would come up in one way, come down in another. I don't think waiting like that, if you're going to trade him anyway, is the right play. But it also depends on what offers you get. If you're getting nothing but terrible offers now, what are you supposed to do? Trading Butler for a terrible offer is no good either.
1: Exactly. Well, Dan, thank you for doing this. Uh, Dan's work, of course, is at NBCSports.com, and it's at Dan Feldman NBA on Twitter. He is all over the place. You he can. He's been on the Dunked On podcast lately. He's just. He's a man about town now. He's just. He's big time <laughs> everywhere. Um, thanks for doing this. We may be back next week talking about why Jimmy Butler is a great fit with the Orlando Magic because that's where he got traded. That's <laughs> that's my new goal. I just want to get him traded to Orlando for fun. Um, Do you
0: remember when Jimmy Butler declared when he was with the Bulls with Derrick Rose? I'm a point guard. <laughs>
1: He wanted the ball in his hands that much well, he also said he'd never wear a Miami heat jersey um, although I think that that was during the LeBron heat era if i if I'm recalling that correctly right
0: Correct he also said he would never be a star so
1: yeah he's here uh, we are. yeah uh, let's just say the the word on the street about him around the league is that there's plenty of diva there now so um, there may not have been those first couple years when he was up and coming and working his butt off but uh, is there now so
0: let's just be clear. He's a diva who works his butt off. Still, though, is, so I'll that, take him on my team in a heartbeat.
1: Yeah, exactly. There, that is. There is something to that. So, thanks again for doing this, Dan. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We will be back next week, breaking down teams and maybe a Jimmy Butler trade, maybe not. We'll see. Uh, we'll be, but we'll be back with more PBT podcasts next week. Thanks for listening.
0: Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends.